Okay, we're going to begin here on the bottom of Kuptev Zayin Amud Bet. Two lines from the bottom. Amar Ravashi, Tartei Plige. Here we're discussing the Makhloket between the Rabbanon and Rabbi Shmuel Beno, Shur Rabbi Yochanan Ben Broka. Chumim say that when it came to Erev Pesach that fell out on Shabbat, that you're allowed to not only shech the Korban of Pesach, but you're allowed to do hefshet, you're allowed to completely flay the animal and remove the skins entirely. Rabbi Shmuel Beno, Shur Rabbi Yochanan Ben Broka says... Yes, you can shech the animal. Yes, you can flay it, but you can only flay it until the chazet, until the chest area, because that clears the area where you need to get access to, which is for the chalavim, for the fats. Now, the Gemara brought our Mishnah as a linchpin in their discussion about a proof to why the Rabbanon disagree with Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Yochanan, but Broka. So the Gemara first brought our Mishnah as a proof, and the Gemara said, that doesn't work, because our Mishnah is talking about tiltal. So we're talking about an issue mit Rabbanan. We're here by Korban Pesach, we're talking about an issue de right of hefshet, of flame. So Rashi came in and says, They're actually arguing on two issues. They argue on both the malacha aspect of it, which is the hefshet. How far can you flay the animal? Can you flay the animal all the way? Or can you flay the animal only until the chest? In addition to that, they also argue about the issue of tiltul. The ability to carry this animal or this skin after you've laid the skin. What's the status of this skin? Is this skin a din of mukse? Or is this a skin allowed to be carried? That, the Gemara says, That's what the Rabbonon say to Rabbi Shmo. If you're allowed to save the encasement of the Sefer along with the Sefer itself, Certainly we should be able to carry the ore because of the Basar. As Rashi points out, It's also Basar Dumya the Sefer. Flesh is equal to the Sefer over here. And you can move the flesh from the sun or the heat into the shade. And because of the ability to move the basar, you'll also be able to move the or, which is the equivalent of the encasement of the Sefer Torah. Just like you can move the Sefer Torah and the cover with it. So to over here, you'll be able to move the flesh along with the skin that's around it. It says, Midomi. How can you compare these two cases? Hotom nase bosis nasis That doesn't work. By the Tika Sefer, it becomes a busis l'davar mutar Because even if you didn't have any fire there, you could have carried the Sefer, and therefore you're allowed to carry also along with it the cover. Over here, the flesh is carrying something that is otherwise asur. Because as Rashi points out, or nase basis l'davar shukulo asur that is not ra'ui to be eaten until nightfall. So the basar now becomes something that is not mitaltel, something that is muksa. If that's muksa, and you want to now carry in addition to that the encasement, the skin along with it, then that's not going to work so well. As Rashi pointed out before, he said that you could carry the basar, and it wasn't muksa because it was kavod shemayim. Rashi over here says, Rabbi Shmuel, late late kavod shemayim b'machal nechal it's not considered to move the korban and the flesh of the korban because who's going to consume the flesh of the korban is the hejot. It's a regular lay person. It's not shayach le shamayim. Therefore, he does not consider it to be kvod shamayim to move the basar. And he says, So even if you want to suggest that you can carry the whole thing, the skins included, because the skins would be a encapsulation, something to carry the basar with, 
you have a problem because the basar itself is a sur. So now you've been carrying something which is called a basis, the davara sur, a base for something that is a sur. This happens on Shabbat all the time. It's a problem in Shabbat with regards to muksa. If you put something underneath an item that is muksa, it becomes what's called a basis, the davara sur. Comes a base to support something that's a sewer, and it takes on the properties of muksa, and it cannot be moved on Shabbat. It happens, for instance, when you light candles. You light candles on a tray. When you light candles on the table, the tray or the table become a basis ledavar ha'asur. They become a base for something that is a sewer, and then they take on the properties of muksa at that point in time. So that's where Bishmal says over here. When it comes to the basar, it's muksa. The or you want to carry the or because of the basar, you can't do that. The or now became a basis ledavar ha'asur. Opposed to when I Mishnah, we have a Sefer Torah which is completely mutar. Now you have the cover around the Sefer Torah. So you're going to use the cover to carry the Sefer Torah. That's a basis ledavarha mutar. There's no muksa problem over there. You're comparing apples and oranges. So now, Tosafot does point out earlier that Rashi suggested that when we were talking about carrying the basar because of the or, Rashi says, well, the basar is a sewer. So we might want to suggest that, oh, because the basar is a sewer and we'd to carry the cover to carry the Sefer Torah. So we'd like to carry the or for the basar. Rashi said, the way Rashi set it up was that the basar is muksa, and then we're going to allow you to carry the or to carry the basar. Tosa said, I don't understand that at all. If the basar is a sewer, then what's the point? How would you ever be matir? What was the havamina to think that you can carry the or because of the basar? Tosa says that actually the basar is mutar the kamre, and everybody agrees that it's mutar. Normally when it comes to flesh on Shabbat, we say that it's mutar, even if it's not kosher or not edible, because you can give it to the dogs to eat. So it still has utility on Shabbat, it's not muksit. But here you can't do that because it's kochim. It's a korvan, so you can't throw it out to the dogs. So he says, because of bizayam kochim, everybody agrees that it's mutar to move the basar. Basar is mutar to carry. Well, if the basar is mutar to carry, and the Savior Torah is mutar to carry, and you can carry the tik for the Savior Torah, you should better carry the or for the basar. So why does the Gemara reject that and say no? In our case here, by the Sefer Torah, it's buses the Dover Mutar. There, by the Korban Pesach, it's a buses the Dover Asur. Why is it a buses the Dover Asur? So Tosavot says, because, Why does the Gemara then say it's a buses the Dover Asur? Before you shechted the animal, flesh, everything inside was asur. And you have the skin around it. So the skin became a buses the Dover Asur. Now, when you shecht the animal, you made the basar mutar. But just because you made the basar mutar doesn't mean you can change the status of the or now to something that is a basis ledavar mutar. If when you entered into Shabbat or when you entered into Yom Tov it was a basis ledavar ha asur, it doesn't automatically become or just become a basis ledavar mutar just because there's no longer Easter on it. You light the candles on the candelabra and then the candles blow out. That doesn't make it now a basis ledavar mutar because it became muksa when you came into Shabbat and that's the way it will remain through the entire. Shabbat. So, so to over here, the or when you entered into Shabbat was carrying a live animal, it's carrying something that's muksa. Just because now you shechted the animal and all of a sudden the basar is mutar now, doesn't mean that the or will change its status and become a basar ledavar ha mutar. So that's what Tosfat says is the Gemara's question. Why? How could you compare the cases? The or is still a basar ledavar asur, whereas the tik is a basar ledavar ha mutar. So that's how he differs from Rashi in explaining that piece of the Gemara. This is what they said to him. You have to save the cover of the Sefer Torah along with the Sefer Torah, even though there is money deposited in there. So then, on the Tauta or Agav Basar, certainly we should carry the or because of the Basar over here. You can carry the Tik Sefer because of the Maot that are in it. Certainly you can carry the or because of the Basar that's in it. And again, the one says, Me dummy.
As I explained before, it's not so simple that you're just carrying the ma'ot that is mukseh. You also have the Sefer Torah in there. When you look at that, then you have two things inside of the tik. You have money and you have the Sefer Torah. That's basis davar asur and mutar. You have two things there. You have the Sefer Torah, which is mutar. And you have the ma'ot, which are asur. Basis davar asur mutar is mutar. That basis is mutar to move. It does not take on the properties of muksa in that case. That's completely mutar. Hacha kulon aseh basis davar asur. Over here, you have nothing besides isur. You have the basar, which is asur. And here you're trying to use the ore to carry it. There's nothing else there. There's no heter there to carry it. There is a discussion within the Rishonim about what does it mean to be a basis l'davar asur l'davar hamutar. Over here, it's clear that the Sefer Torah is worth much more than the money. When you look at it as being a basis l'davar asur and mutar, the mutar side clearly weighs heavier in this equation because it's more chashuv. So that's a question that comes up in terms of Shabbat, in terms of, for instance, carrying candles on a tray, putting candles on the table. If you put mutar items on there as well. Does the value of the mutar items have to be at least in some sort of proportion to the asur item? Here you have silver candlesticks, and now all of a sudden you put on a salt shaker on top of the tray. Is that enough to make it a buses of double asur mutar? Or do we say, no, look, the value of the candlesticks is so much greater than that of the salt that it's really a buses of double asur. So the summary shown him said that there has to be a balance in value between the two items. Others believe as long as there's hat there, and especially with regards to the Shabbat, where the candlesticks will be asur, and the salt shaker will be mutar, in that case, the relative value of the salt shaker becomes greater to you on Shabbat, because it's something you can use, as opposed to the candlesticks, that's relative utility. And that might be enough to even it out. That is a discussion in the beginning of Beitzah, there some of the Rishonim discussed this issue of how balanced does it have to be. In our case over here, it's not really relevant because the Sefer Torah is clearly more valuable than the money that's inside of the tik. So Gemara says, "Oh, Like another attempt this. If you're allowed to carry a cover or a sack of some sort that has money in it from outside, let's seal both Sefer Torah in order to save the Sefer Torah, alone to tell or basar, then certainly you should be able to carry the or because of the basar. So now we come to a case where we actually are parallel. Here you're picking up a sack or a bag full of money. That's just Isur. And you're taking the cover to take the Isur along to go grab the Sefer Torah. Similar to taking the or, the skin here, to carry the Basar, to carry the flesh along with it. So now we've reached a point where, okay, the cases sound the same. The only problem is, where did the Gemara come up with that? How does it know you're allowed to carry a bag full of money to go get the Sefer Torah? That's not one of the cases mentioned in our Mishnah. That's not one of the... Situations where we said it was mutar, and that's what the Gemara says right away. How do you know that that's true? How do you know that taking a bag full of money to save the Sefer Torah is allowed? says, well, because in our Mishnah it says that if you find a bag right there full of money with the Sefer Torah, that you don't have to throw out the money. You can just take everything at once and go. So maybe Ituyanami Matina, so if you could take it out with the Sefer Torah, certainly you should be able to bring it to save the Sefer Torah. It says, Midami, those two cases are not parallel. When he's in the house and he's got the Sefer Torah with the money in it, he's got to make a move quickly to get the Sefer Torah out before the fire comes. Over here, he has to run away anyway to go get the bag, to bring it over here with the money in it to save the Sefer Torah. While he's on a way to get the Sefer Torah, he can just turn the bag upside down and let the money fall out on his way to the Sefer Torah. And that will not cause any delay. The removal of the money from the bag on his way to save the Sefer Torah will not cause him any delay. It will not be a problem in saving the Sefer Torah. On the other hand, when you're trying to move the Sefer Torah from the Delay and there happens to be money in there, 
tearing to take out the money or to remove the money from the bag might cause a delay that would be a huge loss in terms of the fire saver Torah will catch fire. So over there we say just take it out and then we'll worry about the issue afterwards. But here you have an opportunity to dump the money on the way to getting the safer Torah. Ela Amar Mar Baravashi. So Maravashi goes back. Let's go back to stage one. Back to the beginning of the Gemara. And that the Kakashalach. Well, what was the problem with stage one in the Gemara? Stage one in the Gemara was that they compared it to the case in our Mishnah. They said, If you save the Tika Sefer, the cover of the Sefer with the Sefer, certainly we should be able to be Mafshita Pesach Leoro. We would be able to flay the Pesach. question that we asked over there was, wait a minute, you're comparing apples and oranges because Tika Sefer with the Sefer is Tiltal. That simple Dinder Abonon, it's Muxa Dinder Abonon. We can wave it in certain situations where a person's Baola Momono. Hefsheta or skinning the animal is a din de oraita. So how could you do that? So that's why I have to go back now and address that issue. How do we address that issue? He doesn't need the skin. He's going to flay the animal, not for its skin. In the Mishkan, the reason that you flayed the animal was because you wanted the hide, not because you wanted to get inside the animal. They used the hide for part of the covers of the Mishkan. So their purpose in flaying the animal was to get to the skin, not to get access to the animal. The answer to Gemara is, Oh, by the Lord. Says, Don't they both agree? Rabbi Shimon agrees when there's a Pasuk Reishi, when it's inevitable that that's what's going to happen, it's still considered to be a swerve. The Gemara answers, They took it off. Now the Rishonim are going to address this answer differently based on their opinions within Pasuk Reishi. If we want to suggest over here that the or is not problematic because you don't really want the or, you want to get inside of it. So that's a rash. He's not intending to do the afshata because of the skin. Now it's similar to the way that you did have shait in the Mishkan. So this sounds something like Dabr Shainu Mitkavain. It's not Kavain to do the Fshait. Also Kwaza'i Malachashain Srikhala Gufa. Over here it might be a little different. Generally Malacha and Srikhala Gufa is that you want to do the Malacha. You just don't want it for the same intent as in the Mishkan. Over here, he doesn't even want the Malacha. He doesn't even need the or is irrelevant to him, completely irrelevant to him. And he's really Dabrashainu Mitkavain. He has no intent to do the Malacha of Hefshait. He simply wants to get access to the animal inside, to the fats that he needs to put on the Mizbeach. So in that case, it's Dabrashainu Mitkavain. But we know, Bayan Bavu, we've seen this numerous times, say that Rabbi Shimon says, even when somebody is Dabrashainu Mitkavain, if it's inevitable that you will do the Malacha, then that's not called Dabrashainu Mitkavain anymore. It's Pasuk below Yamut. And then you are Chayav. Then it's a problem, according to Rabbi Shimon, Machloket, and the Rishonim, what exactly that means, that you're Chayav, what the problem is. But now we're up to Pasuk Yamut. So now we have to solve that problem and say, it's not Pasuk Yamut. The Oroch is going to solve it in his way. The Oroch says that when it's Pasuk the low Nechale, you do a Pasuk that is not what you want, it's not something that's beneficial to you, in that instance, then we say that Mutar the Gamre. And this is one of his proofs to his position, is our Gemara right here. Numerous examples, we saw one of them already, which was the weeding in the field. The Gemara says, oh, when you pull out the weeding in the field, how come that's not a problem? So, the Gemara says, what do you mean, it's a Pasuk The Gemara said, it's Ba'ara Dechavre. He's doing it in his friend's field. So, alright, so he did it in his friend's field. What does that do? So, Rashi and Tosafot, they say, oh, it's a 
But the Lech Lebe, he doesn't really care about cleaning up his friend's field. He doesn't care about helping out his friend's field. So it's a Pesach Reisha that he does not interested in. So that's what the Yorach says. You're right. Pesach Reisha that you're not interested in? Mutar Legamre. That's what that Gemara says. So Sefot, on the other hand, over there says, no, when it's a Pesach Reisha, it's still Osrimi Derabanan. It becomes a Malach Hashem Tzrichot Gufa. It's Osrimi Derabanan. So he has to reread the Gemara over there. Another proof to the Yorach's position is from a Gemara in Sukkah. Gemara in Sukkah says if you have a Hadas. You have a Hadas, but the problem is that the Hadas is not kosher because it has too many berries on it. It has berries on it and leaves on it. If you have berries and leaves, if there are more berries than leaves, it's not a kosher Hadas. Simple way to solve the problem is to pick the berries off the Hadas. Now you'll have a kosher hadas. The problem with that is that you are mitakein on Yom Tov. You're making the hadas kosher on Yom Tov. It wasn't kosher before, and now you make it kosher on Yom Tov. Gemara says, oh, it's not intending to make it into a kosher hadas. Gemara says, again, it's posagreshe. Gemara says, itle hoshana achrite. He has another hadas. He doesn't need this hadas. All right, what does that do for you if he doesn't need another hadas? According to the Arf, it's great. It says, not interested in this hadas. I don't need the hadas. I need the berries. I don't need the hadas. So I already have another Hadas. That's a Pesukrashel on Echei Mutar Lagamre, according to the Aruch. Second proof of the Aruch. The third proof of the Aruch is from our Gemara right here. It says, what's going on? They have a Pesukrashel. Gemara says here that the Shokile Bibarze. He takes it off with Barze, with the sharp instruments. Now, what does that mean? He takes it off. He doesn't take it off in the way that you would flay. When you flay the animal, you want the skins. You want to keep it as a single piece. You want to keep it so that it's usefulness, utility afterwards. If you slice it into strips, or you cut it down, you rip it apart, it's not going to be useful anymore. So then it becomes a posagreshe de lo nechale. Arach says that's mutar de gamre. So the third proof of the Arach's position, that when you have a posagreshe de lo nechale, it's mutar de gamre. The last proof for the Arach's position is going to come up in the Gemara Frodan, in Rebeloza de Mila, again, where the Gemara seems to indicate if you bring somebody else in that's not the father, with regards to cutting off a beheret on a Mila, that that would be fine, because it would be a posagreshe de lo nechale that is mutar. Obviously, Tosafot can't learn that way, because Tosafot believes Pesach lo is still Osir Mi Dirabanan. That's not going to help you over here. So Rashi gives one solution to the problem. He says, He slices it off in very thin pieces. Rashi says, you're not doing the Malachav Hefshet. Malachav Shet is to take off the skin in its entirety. To take it off in a single piece. When you slice into thin strips of skin, that is not called hefshet. So Rashi says, we're not even in the parsha of a dindaraita. We moved it over to a dindarabonan because this is a shinoi. It's a complete change in the malacha. It's not the normal way to do the malacha. Yes, it'll still be osur midarabanan. It certainly will not be osur midoraita. Once you drop it down to the rabbanan, then you're dealing with equal cases. You're dealing with the rabbanan and hefshet. You're dealing with the rabbanan and tilto. We saw before that the Rabbanim waved and he said the Rabbanan in certain circumstances so they'll also wave it over here. So Rashi says it's not an issue anymore of We dropped it out of the world of Pazikreshe and we made it a Shinoi in the Malacha which makes it completely outside the realm of Hefshet. That's the way Rashi deals with it. Dosafot on the other hand says doesn't like Rashi's explanation says Venir the the Leka Filushvot there's not even an Isu Rabbanan here. The Enu Mavshit Tishur Chashivut or Yachad He's not even doing something that would even be called Hefshet. Hefshet needs a certain minimum amount of skin in it. If you don't get that minimum amount of skin, you're not even doing Hefshet. It's not called Hefshetah. And he says, basically, that there's a definition of the Malacha of Hefshet. Part of the definition of the Malacha of Hefshet is that there's a minimum shear, just like by Kotev. When you write on Shabbat, there's a minimum shear. To have the Malacha of Kotev, you need to write to Otiot. You don't write to Otiot, you're not writing on Shabbat. So same thing over here. 
when you are doing hefshet in pieces that are smaller than something that would ever be flayed, that's not called hefshet anymore. It's not anything near. It's not even a shinoi nefshet. We're not even in the world of hefshet, according to Tosafot. And that's why it would be mutar the gamre over here. So Rashi and Tosafot deal with the issue by taking away the Easter de Uraita by simply saying that either it's a shinoi like Rashi, that it's an Easter de Rabbanan, or according to Tosafot, it's not even in the world of hefshet. That's why it's mutar over here. That's the position of Rashi and Tosavot, as opposed to the Oroch. You can see here on the side, by under the name Mishpat, Oroch, Perish, Barza, Nikavim, makes holes in it. He punctures the skin. It's clear he doesn't want the skin. He's not flaying it for the skin, because he wouldn't punch holes in it if he wanted the skin. Therefore, it is You don't have enough from it, and therefore it's not similar to Pasik Reshe. That is why he calls it what we would call It's interesting how he phrases it here that he has no benefit from it. And that makes it and therefore it is mutar. The Gemara asks, To where can you save the Sefer Torah? So in our Mishnah, there was an argument. It says that you're allowed to save it to a Mavui She'enu Miflash. So Chachamim say you can only save it to a place that's not Miflash. That's not a thoroughfare. Whereas... Rabbi Ben-Bitera says you can even go into a thoroughfare. I explained the Mishnah according to the simplest and the way we pass from Aloha in terms of Mifulash and Enu Mifulash. The Mifulash means that it's open on two sides and there are two walls. And Enu Mifulash means it's closed on three sides and the fourth wall is open. That's how I explained it. The Gemara here is going to explain it differently. It's going to take different opinions within Mifulash to try to establish the Mishnah in that way. The reason they do that is because they don't want either the Chachamim or Ben Batera's position to be too extreme. They want to understand what's their position or what they're arguing about. The Gemara says, Hechi dami Mifulash, Hechi dami Sheinu Mifulash. What's the case of Mifulash? And what's the case of Eino Mifulash? Amrav Chista, Shlosh Mechitzot Ushnei Lechayin. If you have three walls and two lechis, two lechis meaning at the open side, you have a lechi, a post that sits on each side of the doorway. Zeu Mavoi Sheinu Mifulash. That's called Eino Mifulash. Gimel Mechitzot V'Lechi Echad. If you have three walls and on the fourth side you only put up one post over there. Zeu Mavoi HaMifulash. That's called Mifulash. Bitarvayu aliba de Rabbi Eliezer, and they're both subscribing to the position of Rabbi Eliezer. It's none. Hechsher mavoi. How do you make a mavoi mutar to carry in it? Bitshamayomim lechi vikora. You have to put on both a lechi, a post, and a kora beam across the top. Bitelalomim o lechi o kora. One or the other. You don't need both. Rabbi Eliezer omer shnei lechaim. You need two lechis in order to be matir over here. This is the machloki between them. The Chachamim say that it's a case of enu mifulash, which means that it's three walls with two lechis on there. That's something that you could carry anytime on Shabbat. That's something where if you had an Eruv in there, you had a sheet of mivot, it would work completely because you have three walls plus two lechaim. According to Rabbi that's completely mutar to carry into that area. On the other hand, Ben Batera says we have an additional heter, additional dispensation here because of the difficult situation. Therefore, if there's only one lechi at the end here, we're going to still allow you to carry into this mavoy. Even though normally you couldn't carry in there, here we're going to allow you to carry into the mavoy. So now, Gemara says, wait a minute. According to the Chachamim, what type of dispensation did you have over here? Mifulash karidei. That's number one. First of all, three walls and one lechi. That's not called mifulash. According to Rabbanan, you have a full-fledged mavoy or reshuta yachid here, but you should be able to carry into it. You have three walls plus two lechis. There's nothing missing. 
There's no dispensation over here. What dispensation do you have? You're carrying it into an area that you could carry even food and drink into. You don't have to have a special dispensation just to carry Sifre Kodesh. You can carry anything into that area. So that can't be the explanation of the Machoket. Rabbi says this is Machoket between them. We're talking about two Mechitzot, two walls, and then the opposite walls are open. So you have a thoroughfare that goes through and two walls on the side. And then you have a Lechi on each side. On each opening side, you have a lechi. Zeh mavui she'enu miflash. Shtei mechitzot v'lechi echad. If you only have the two walls and one lechi, zeh mavui miflash. V'tarvayu alibid Rabbi Yehuda. And they're both going to Rabbi Yehuda. We saw earlier in the Masechta, in the first parak. Titania yeter again amar Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda has this special halacha with regards to the Rishut Rabim, which is mishesh lo shnei batim shnei tzidei Rishut Rabim. You own a house on two sides of the public. Thoroughfare. You put up a lechi on either side or a korea on either side. And you can carry between your houses. So you have your houses that sit opposite each other in Rishut Rabim. And you want to carry from one house to the other through the Rishut Rabim. So what do you do? You basically close off the Rishut Rabim. You're not going to close off the Rishut Rabim. But you do it by, in a symbolic way. You put a lechi on one end, a lechi on the other end. It looks like now it creates like a fourth wall, third and fourth wall here. And you're able to carry across according to Rabbi Yehuda. The Chachamim disagree, and they say, You can't make an Eruv in Rishut Rabim. Rishut Rabim is Rishut Rabim. You can't carry in Rishut Rabim. You can't change the status of Rishut Rabim by using a Lechi and a Torah. That's not the way to change the status of Rishut Rabim. But what Rabbi is suggesting here is the Machogan Ramish is a Libid Rabbi Yehuda. According to Rabbi Yehuda, who says you can take a Rishut Rabim and you can make it into a quasi private domain by putting up a Lechi on each side. So the Chachamim say over here, put up a lechi on each side, and then you can carry it. If you have a safe Torah, you can carry it into that area, according to Rabbi Yudah. But Matera says, even if you have a lechi on one side, we have a special dispensation here, that even with the three walls, instead of a fourth wall, you can carry out into that area. I mean, two walls plus a lechi is enough to allow you to carry into that area. Rabbi, according to your explanation, and if we're subscribing to the position of Rabbi Yudah, and we're saying here we have two houses on the sides of Rishabim, two lechis. You have, according to Rabbi Yudah, a perfectly fine place to carry. You can carry in there even Ochleinu Mashkim. You can carry from your house anything you want into that area. Forget about the special situation where it's a fire and you want to carry out a Sefer Torah. You can carry anything into there. Why do I need a special dispensation from the Mishnah for Sefer Torah? Carry what you like in there. Hela Amar Rav Ashi. And here we come to the final solution. Shlosh Mechitzot Velechi Echad. Zem Avoy She'enu Mifulash. You have three walls and one lechi. That's a mavoi she'enu mifulash. Kimo mechitzot below lechi ze mavoi mifulash. That's considered a mavoi mifulash. Vafilu l'Rabbi Elazar Tamar bein and lechaim hani milid oklimu mashkin. Vala sefer Torah b'chad lechi tzalgi. Ravashi is still subscribing to the position of Rabbi Elazar because otherwise, if you have three walls and a lechi, according to the Chachamim, that's a perfectly good place to carry into for anybody. One lechi. That's what we do today. Three walls and one lechi. That's fine. So we still have to be scribed to Rabbi Lezer who requires two lechaim. But, nevertheless, the Chachamim say, even if you have three walls and one lechi, even though Rabbi Lezer will not allow you to carry normally into this area, we have special dispensation in the case of Leka with the Sefer Torah, we allow you to carry it into that area. So that's what it says. Ochlim Hashkim you can't carry there, but the Sefer Torah you allowed to carry there. Ben Batera then comes and says, even three walls and nothing on the fourth side, you can still carry into that area Sefer Torah, because it's all a Dindra Bonon. Midoraita, the three walls make it into a Mashuta Yachid. You have Mashuta Yachid here, the fourth wall being open is only a problem, Midi Rabbanan. And the Rabbanan instituted Lechi and Korah to solve that problem. 
But Mido, right, that's mutar. The Rabbanan waived their isur in this situation in a case where you need to save the Sefer Torah. So what the Gemara accomplished by doing this is to make both Bechachamim and Betera only dealing with an issue de Rabbanan. And both of them dealing with an issue de Rabbanan where normally you would not be allowed to carry into this area. According to the Chachamim, normally you would not be able to carry into this area because we're subscribed to Rabbi Lezer's opinion that you need two lechis in order to be matir in area. And here you only have one lechi. Nevertheless, we allow you to carry the Sefer Torah into this area of three walls in one lechi. Ben Betera goes one step further and says, we waived everything, Midor Abanan, here. If you have no lechis at all, no lechayim here whatsoever, just three walls, Midor, right? So that's a Rishut HaYachid. That's enough to allow you to carry in a Sefer Torah. Not even have one step down, two steps down. It's totally, you're allowed to move it in there even though you can't carry in there at all. Alright, that explains the mission between Miflash and Miflash. Again, it's not the standard definition of what Miflash and Miflash is because otherwise you run into a problem either with Ben Batera or the Chachamim. Either the Chachamim sound too simple because if you can carry other things in there, you should be able to carry Sefer Torah. Or Ben Batera seems too extreme. Which is saying basically something that would otherwise be a Rishut Rabim Dorite that we're allowing you to carry into. That's not true. You can't violate an Isur right to save the Sefer Torah. We're only going to allow you to violate Isurei de Rabbanan. So we had to balance between them. That's why we come up with this solution of Ravashi. That's in the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. And we're missing either one or two Lechaim in this case. Okay, next Mishnah. Matzilin, Mazon, Gimel, Suudot. You're allowed to save three meals from the fire. Haru'oida Adam, Adam, Ruoida Beimah, Beimah. You can save meals for our people and you can save meals for the animals. I mean, they're separate. Ketzad. If the fire fell on the night of Shabbat before you ate, then you need three meals. You need Friday night's meal, Shabbat morning meal, and Sudash Lishit. So you need three meals to say. On the other hand, if you fire falls on Shacharit, then you can save two meals, because you still have the morning meal left, and Sudash Lishit. If it falls around Mincha time, then you can save Mazon Sudachat, because you have one meal that remains for the Shabbat that you're allowed to save. You could always save three Sudot, no matter when you are on Shabbat. That's the standard number of meals that you're allowed to save on Shabbat. We're not going to measure, depending what time on Shabbat, what part of the day on Shabbat. You're allowed to save three meals, and that's it. Now, the truth is that you should be able to take out much more. There's no restriction here. We're dealing with food. Food is mutar. Food's allowed to be eaten on Shabbat, and you should be able to take out as much as you want. There's no problem inherently, as opposed to the Sefer Torah issue where we had the ma'ot, and we dealt with, number one, you had muksa, and number two, you were taken out to a place that you're not allowed to carry. So over there, we had to have dispensations because of the fire. We allowed you to take these things out. Over here, you don't have that situation. Over here, you have a situation where it's no muksa, and you're taken out to a chatzer. A chatzer is considered a place that you could be metaltel. So you're not a problem muksa, you're not a problem of carrying, what is the problem? We're worried about the fire. We're worried about if we don't allow someone to take it out, then they'll extinguish the fire. If we let them take out too much, they'll also extinguish the fire because they'll be rushing to go back and forth, back and forth. They'll extinguish the fire because they're trying to save more. If we give them a limited scope of what they can save, they'll be fine. They'll let the fire go. They won't put the fire out because they've saved the food they need. On the other hand, they won't be going crazy to get all the food out and then put out the fire because of that. So there's a gzera here preventing you from doing more than you would otherwise be allowed to do because of Dinei Shabbat. Mar says, He's working Be'atera. Not so fair. Let him save as much as he wants. So I'm a robot. That's the answer what I just explained to you. 
if we allow a person to take more than the minimum three meals that he'll need on Shabbat, he'll continue to go in, go in, and he'll say, look, I just have a little more to go, but the fire is spreading so fast, he'll put out the part of the extinguished part of the fire to allow himself more time to get out what he wants. So therefore, we prevented him from taking everything. We just say, take the minimum that you need, the shlosh sudot that you need. That's Rova's explanation. Amr Abayi says, what about the bright and nishvelo chavit brosh gago? If you have a barrel of wine that breaks on the roof, you're allowed to bring another utensil and place it on the ground, capture the wine that is flowing off the roof. It's leaking, now it's flowing off the roof. You can put a bucket down there to catch it, and that's fine. You can't bring a cleave from the outside or another cleave and then try to catch it in the air. Or hold it up against the roof and have the wine go directly into the glee. You have to do it, it has to be done in a passive manner. You have to leave the glee there and let it drip or flow down into the glee. But not if you're holding the glee, catching the stream coming down or putting it up against the roof and holding it there because we're afraid that you're gonna carry it from Mishutarim. Hatam, my Xeriko. What's the Xero over there? What's the problem over there? Exactly what Ira just said, that you're gonna carry it Bishutarabim. If we allow you to hold the glee, then you're gonna come engaged, involved in trying to save the wine. And you're going to go, oh, I need another one. And run out and you're going to grab more Pelim to come and save it. When you do that, you're going to be in violation of carrying Mishut Rabim through Shuti Yachid because you're not going to be focused. Say, don't do it. On the other hand, if you just leave the glee on the floor and you're not actively involved, you have time to think. You have time to adjust the situation. You're not going to go grab a glee from Mishut Rabim. That's that bright though. But what Abayi points out is that there is a Xero that where the person is going to be Baho and he's going to grab something from Mishut Rabim and bring it. He says the same thing over here. Abayi says the problem here is not what Roba says is Adam Bahula Momono and therefore he's going to extinguish the fire. The problem here is that a person is going to be so engaged in saving the stuff from the house that he'll forget and he'll bring something from Mishut Rabim or take something out to Mishut Rabim. We don't want a person so engrossed or engaged in the activity that he might come to forget at Shabbat. According to Rebbe, the problem is that you forget at Shabbat and you're trying to run, and I don't know if he forgets at Shabbat, but you're trying to grab all the stuff. You put out the fire. According to Bay, you'll be so engaged that you forget that it's Shabbat and you go grab something through the Rishut Rabim or you're going to take something out to the Rishut Rabim. By Rebbe and Bay, you come up with different reasons to suggest what the problem is here in our Mishnah, why, even though it's mutar, that heter that you're taking out, food, and ochlim, and number two is you're taking it into a chatzir, which is completely mutar. So an activity that would be otherwise on Shabbat, you could do it all day, you want all day long, you could take things in and out of the chatzir with food. Nevertheless, over here, we have to stop you in order to prevent there being a bigger problem from coming about, either extinguishing the fire or carrying a shuter abim. Gufa. He gets guests guests that show up, we allow you to do what you otherwise would not be allowed to do, which is we allow you to put up a glee, and we allow you to not only catch the stream midway, we allow you to hold the glee all the way up to where it's flowing out, and it's fine, because you have orchim. You have usage for it. You need it, that Shabbat, and you need to get the wine for those orchim that are coming. The Gemara says here, but that's only true if the guests were coming. Can't first capture it, and then afterwards invite over the guests. Oh, Yasmin, You have to first invite the guests, and then capture it. And you're not allowed to play games with this. You're allowed to play games with this. So, the simple way to explain this is, or the way you would have read the Gemara, is that here you have guests. If you had guests invited already, so then of course you can bring a plea and then you can capture the wine. Question is here, can you 
invite the guests now. All of a sudden, invite guests that you need them right now, and then you go capture the wine. Do this at the last minute. That would be the marim bekach. Now Rashi says, Rashi does not interpret it the simple way, which is marim bekach is that you invite the guests at the last minute. That's the simple way to read the Gemara. Rashi reads it as, that you're not allowed to be marim here, is that you're not invite orchim that are not going to drink or eat anyway. They already had their meal. They already had what they needed. Don't invite those people over and then say, oh, I'm capturing the wine for them. Because that's that's called harama. Then you're really not going to feed them. They're guests, but you're not going to feed them anything because they're not going to eat or drink. So there, we don't allow it. And Rabbi Yosef says, we do allow it, even though the guests are not going to eat. So that's the harama according to Rashi, which is interesting, different than what you would have thought in the simple reading of the Gemara. So Agamara says, Let's say that this machloka here about whether you're allowed to play games or not, similar to a machloka we've seen between Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yeshua. You have a animal and its child that fell into a pit. We know that you're not allowed to shecht an animal and its child on the same day. So it's clear you're not going to be able to eat both these animals on Yom Tov. So one of the two animals is muksa. One of them you can eat for food on, on Yom Tov. The other one is going to be muksa because you won't be able to shecht it on Yom Tov. All right. Well, that's the way the Torah phrases it. There is a day that it's by the father as well. But the majority opinion is that it's only by mothers that it applies. That's correct. That's why I phrased it in the generic, it and its child, because of that problem. There is a mafoka, but you're right. Brings up the first one and the intent of shechting it, which is allowed because it's Yom Tov. Yom Tov, you can shech the meat, so you can bring the first one out of the pit. The second one, he feeds, he gives him food so he won't die. You can't bring them out because you don't need them on Yom Tov. You can't shech this animal on Yom Tov. You bring the second one out because they're ready. The first one was designated for shechita. Second one can't be shechted because you're going to run into a problem. On the other hand, we're not going to allow you to let the animal die there. So you're allowed to bring food and supply the animal and take care of the animal in the pit itself. You bring out the first one intending to shech it. And then you don't do it. He says, you know what? The first one wasn't big enough. It wasn't fat enough. It's not the right size. I need the other one. And then you bring up the second one to shecht it. Then you decide which one you want to shecht. So you play a little game that basically you say, I need it for Yom Tov. Then when he comes up, you say, that's not the right one. I want the other one for Yom Tov. So that's how it lets him get it out. The Gemara is going to say that, that maybe the cases are not necessarily comparable. Mimai, how do you know that they're arguing the same way? Maybe Rabbi Lezer says over there, you can leave one of the animals in the pit because you can feed him down there. You can take care of him there. Over here, you have no option. In our case, by the wine and the guests, if you don't take care of the wine, the wine's going into the it's going to get run off and be a waste. So if you don't save it, then we're going to have a problem. Maybe there we can use harama to save the wine. To leave one of the animals in the pit, it's harbalechayim. So he allows you to play games to get both the animals out in order to avoid the problem of harbalechayim. Here we have no mitigating factor like harbalechayim. You have hefseid. You have a loss. Not Tsar Bali Chaim. Tsar Bali Chaim is a much higher consideration than Hefseid. If that's the case, then maybe over here would say no. No. That he would say that he would not allow Haroma. So Gemara says we won't compare the cases. We're not going to say that the Machloket there and the here is the same Machloket in Haroma because you could differentiate. If you saved already, we'll call it white bread, then then you shouldn't save. We have in the Oroch Perish Lacham Av, a thicker bread. Rashi says that it's Pat Kibar, which is less clean. It's a coarser bread. It's basically whole wheat. 
In their day, whole wheat was considered to be inferior. So things, times have changed. In their day, white bread was the purview of the rich because they had the ability to sift the flour and to let stuff go and not worry about it and have the finest flour and have white bread. The people who were poor ate the whole wheat bread. Things even out that the poor people lived longer then because the rich people were eating all the white bread. Right, obviously today it's different. So the patajra here is inferior flour, either because it's whole wheat or because it's not as good quality. That you can't bring up. Patajra, on the other hand, if you saved bread that was of this inferior quality, matzo patnikia, then you can go in again and get another pat, which is better. So you can upgrade, you can't downgrade. So that's what the Gemara says in terms of saving. Umatzilim yom ha-kipurim l'shabbat. Avalom shabbat l'yom ha-kipurim. You can say from Yom Kippur into Shabbat, but you're not going to say Mishabbat li Yom HaKippurim. So Rashi explains over here. Yom Kippur falls out on Motzei Shabbat. If he's going to save it on Shabbat for Yom HaKippurim, he can't eat on Yom Kippur. He has to wait until Motzei Yom HaKippurim in order to eat it. So that's why the Gemara says, don't save it on Shabbat for Yom Kippur. Wait till Moshe Yom Kippur. Moshe Yom Kippur, you can work on your own. You can fix it up. You can take care of it on your own. You have time to fix up and get the meal that you need. So that's why we say, don't save it. On the other hand, if you're on Yom Kippur going into Shabbat, if you don't save it on Yom Kippur, you have nothing to eat on Shabbat. You can't prepare on Shabbat. Shabbat has no dispensation to prepare. And neither does Yom Kippur. So if you don't save it, you have nothing to eat on Shabbat. There we allow you to save it. Certainly from Shabbat to Yom Tov, you're not allowed to save. Because Yom Tov, you can prepare. Yom Tov, you have the Heter Ochel Nefesh. So we're not going to allow you to carry on Shabbat and take some things out on Shabbat because you don't need to prepare from Shabbat to Yom Tov. You can just do it on Yom Tov itself and prepare on Yom Tov itself. And you can't say from this Shabbat for the following Shabbat because you have the intervening weekdays where you could deal with the issue. So we don't need to save the food today to keep it for a week from now. It's very interesting. Tosafot over here, he says, mi Shabbat the Yom HaKippurim. Perish B'Kunchus the Motzei Yom HaKippurim. Can't save it from Motzei Yom Kippur. Tomar Pshita. Of course not. The Chol Gomerhu. It's Torah Chol. Amai Shana Mi Shabbat the Motzei Shabbat. Why did the Gemara give an issue like, okay, you can't save from Shabbat to Yom Kippur? The Rashi says, well, you're not going to eat on Yom Kippur, so you're going to eat a Motzei Yom Kippur. So that's basically saving for Shabbat to Chol. So why don't you just say Shabbat to Motzei, Shabbat you can't save? Oh, so unbelievable. This Tosfot says something that we saw again on Friday's daf as well. There's a special mitzvah to eat on Motzei Yom Kippurim. There's a Sudas Yom Tov. That's what the Tosfot said on Friday's daf. That we blow the shofar at Ne'ilah to tell people, get ready, it's time for the Suda. You have a mitzvah of Suda Yom Tov now on Motzei Yom Kippurim, As opposed to Shabbat, where it's not. What do you see here? Tosfot does not view Malav Malka in the same way as he views the meal on Motzei Yom Kippurim. Saying Motzei Shabbat is just a Malav Malka. That's not a Yom Tov meal. That's not a special meal that you would save for. You can't save a meal for Motzei Shabbat. Motzei Yom Kippurim, that you would have a half a minute to save because that's a special meal. That's a Yom Tov meal. Then he gives other re- answers. Maybe the difference is that you've been fasting. So obviously we want to give you a b- bigger dispensation to take out to Motzei Yom Kippur versus Motzei Shabbat. Motzei Shabbat, you ate the whole Shabbat. So big deal, you don't have a meal on Motzei Shabbat. Yom Kippur, you haven't eaten the whole day. If you don't have a meal on Motzei Yom Kippur, it's going to be pretty painful. The last answer he gives is, well, you know, maybe we would allow you to save it to feed the children on Yom Kippur. So you have all these different reasons why Yom Kippur, Motzei Yom Kippur, would be more chashuv than Motzei Shabbat. Now we move on. Taro Banan. Shachach pat bitonur. He forgets the bread in the oven coming into Shabbat. V'kidesh alav ayom, and Shabbat started. He has the bread in there. If he leaves it in the oven, it's going to burn, and he'll have nothing to eat on Shabbat. It's the equivalent of a fire coming into your house, and burning all the food in the house. 
So matzilin mazon shlo sudot. You're allowed to take out three sudot. You're allowed to scrape out three sudot from the oven and leave the rest of the bread there. Vomer lachirim, and they can say to other people, you can come and take three sudot as well. So now what we have here is basically each person is entitled to three sudot because that's going to prevent people coming or, or extinguishing the fire. Say each person gets their three sudot to take it out. You scrape it out of the oven. Don't scrape it out with the scraper, the normal way that they took it out of the oven, but use a knife, which is an unusual way to do it. Why do you have to do that at all? Right here, there's some question about what pasuk they're quoting. If you look in Tosafot, Tosafot discusses whether it's Tuchol Melachet Tasu is the pasuk they quote in Beitzah, which is a pasuk from Yom Tov. Over here, discussing Shabbat, they quoted a pasuk from Shabbat. Some question as to whether it should be the pasuk from Shabbat or the pasuk from Yom Tov. Tosafot in the end says it doesn't make a difference because they're equal. The only difference between them is Ochel Nefesh. But anyway, you're not allowed to do malacha on Shabbat. Shofar, blowing the shofar is not a malacha. Scraping the bread out of the oven is not a malacha. It's a chokhmah. It's a type of skill, but it's not a malacha. Therefore, it's only asur midrabanan, not asur midoraita. It's only asur midrabanan. Why are we asking you to do a shinoi over here? To take it out with a knife instead of scraping it out with a scraper. If the Rabbanan already said you could take out three sudot, they can also waive the restriction against scraping it out with a scraper. It's only an Iser de Rabbanan. So Gemara says, You're right. It's an Iser de Rabbanan. What we want to do is maximize the unusualness of the procedure here. For two reasons. One is that a person then will be more careful not to do something like extinguishing the fire, not to do something that's really a sore. And number two is that they won't extrapolate from this to other situations. If you let you do it, say, oh, every week I'll just come in and scrape out my bread, come in and I'll leave it in the fire and I'll scrape it out. No, this is an unusual situation. We're going to make you do it in an unusual, unusual manner so that you also remember that this is not a general dispensation for doing this. Right, that would be the conclusion from this Gemara, is that if there was no alternative besides the scraper, you could use the scraper, because then you have no other option, and you have to change. Whatever you can change, you do. If you can't, then you can't. Now, Gemara says, Amar of Chista, Lo'olam yashkim adam, lo'otzat Shabbat. From this, Rav Chista gives a little lesson, and he says, a person should always get up early on Friday morning in order to deal with preparations for Shabbat. So you don't run into these problems, where you're scraping the bread off going into Shabbat. So that was what we just read in this past week's parasha, by the man. On the sixth day, they got the man, and then they prepared their food. The altar, they prepared it right away. When did the man fall? The man falls in the morning. So on the sixth day, on Friday, when it fell, it fell in the morning. And then it says, and then prepare it. When should you prepare it? On Friday morning, when the man fell. So you should be prepared. You should be coming in well prepared. Now, Amar Rabbi Ava, B'Shabbat, Chayav Adam B'Btsoa Al Shteki Karot. Here we have, well, otherwise it's known as, Lechem Mishneh. Because that's Tichtiv, Lechem Mishneh. Rabbi Ava says on Shabbat, a person has to break bread on two loaves, because it says in the Pasha, Lechem Mishneh. Oh, so that's a good question. What exactly did Rabbi Ava say over here? Why does he require you to break on two kikarot? says, because it says, Lechem Mishneh. So Shaul says it's Zecher Leman. So that's one way to view it, that is Zecher Leman. We'll see in a second, maybe there's another way to view it. Rashi over here says something interesting. He says, Libtoa. What does Rashi say? Birkat Hamotzi. Now, the simple interpretation of the word Libtoa means to break bread. Modern day term is to cut the bread. So it's either to break the bread or cut the bread, I'll stay Kikarot. 
Rashi doesn't say that. Rashi says Liptoa is Birkat Amotzi. To make the bracha of Amotzi. Chaim, based on this, wanted to say that maybe Birkat Amotzi Alecha Mishnah has the same din as Kiddush. On Kiddush, you make the bracha, the Mekadesh makes a bracha on the wine, he drinks the wine, and you're Yotze Kiddush. You don't have to drink the wine of the Kiddush. You can drink your own wine, you don't have to drink wine at all. You're still Yotze the Kiddush in terms of Birkat Kiddush Alayayin. Chaim says, based on this Rashi, same is true by Lechem Mishnah. By Lechem Mishnah, you don't have to eat the Lechem Mishnah. Somebody has to make, the Balabaitis make a Birkat Amotzi Alechem Mishnah. That's what Rashi just said. Make Birkat Amotzi Alechem Mishnah. Then you can eat your own bread. You can take your roll, you can eat bread in front of you, you don't have to worry about Lechem Mishnah. He wants a Mechadish inside of Shittad Rashi that, that the same thing will be true by Lechem Mishnah. Truth be told, not all the other Rishonim agree with Rashi, but at least according to Rashi, he wants to make that suggestion. Then we have a second statement here, which is, Amar of Ashi, Chazina le'edu Rav Gahana, Danakat Tarte, Ubatzachada. That he used to take two loaves of bread to make the bracha of Amotzi, and then only break one of the two loaves, or cut one of the two loaves. Amar, because it says, Laktuktiv. When it says about the man, it says that they gathered the man together. Now, how much did they gather? They gathered a double portion. When they ate it, did they really eat the double portion? No, they only ate a single portion. They ate one portion on Friday, and they ate the other portion on Shabbat. This is exactly what he says. You want to do it Zeich Leman, like Shaul suggested before. You want to do Zeich Leman, what do you do? You take two loaves of bread, you make the bruch on the two loaves of bread, Zeich Leman, but then you only break on one of them. You break on one loaf, because that's what happened with the man. You had two loaves, and then you only broke bread on one of them. Rabbi Zerah, Abba Batzah, Kule Sheruta. Rabbi Zerah then used to break a piece of bread, the Kule Sheruta. Rashi learns Sheruta means from the entire meal. That when he broke the bread, when he came and took off the piece of challah he was going to use, the Kabbalah Shabbat, he used to break off a piece big enough that it would satisfy him for the entire meal. That he wouldn't have to break another piece of bread. It was a sense of generosity, sense of Kabbalah and Onega Shabbat, to break off a big piece that he could utilize for the entire meal, the bread that he would need for the entire meal. That's the way Rashi learns it. So according to Rashi, there's really no discrepancy here between the three opinions. You can reconcile all three opinions. There's a din of Lechem Mishneh. Along comes Rav Kahana and says, okay, the din of Lechem Mishneh only applies to the bracha itself, making the bracha, but not to breaking the bread. And then we have a last statement by Rabbi Zerah that says, so when you break the bread, just break off a piece that's big enough to be utilized for the whole meal. So you have three opinions, and Rashi just says that they're each giving you a perspective on this din of Lechem Mishnah. They don't necessarily have to be arguing. On the other hand, the Rashba learns this differently. And the Rashba says, what does it mean? The Kule Shirute means that you must slice through both loaves of bread that you made the bracha on. You can't break just one bread. You have to break both breads that you made the bracha on. Now, the Kro and the Kabbalists, the Zohar also... Say, so not only have to break both loaves of bread, you have to break any loaf of bread that's there. Any loaf that's present, you have to break in order to be Yotze, Din of Lechem Mishneh, or this idea of Kule Sheruta. That anything that you make the bracha on, that you have to break into two pieces. Now you have a machloket. Because it's clear here that the last opinion of Rabbi Zerah says you have to break both loaves. Whereas the previous opinion of Rabbi Gahana said you only have to break one loaf. So it's clear, according to the Rashabot, that there is a machloket here in terms of Lechem Mishneh. There might even be a third opinion here, which is the first opinion says that you have to make the bracha al Lechem Mishneh, depending on how you read the Rashabot's opinion. If you read the Rashabot's opinion, you have to break all the loaves of bread. Then the first opinion that we brought, which was Rabbi Abba, might be that you only have to break two loaves. Rabbi Abba says you break two loaves. Then we have Rav Kana saying you only have to break one loaf. And then we have Rabbi Zera saying you have to break all the loaves that are there. So you actually have a three-way machloka then, according to the Rashba. Whether it's a two-way or a three-way machloka, depending on what you think this final opinion is. Later, according to the Rashba, we have differences of opinions.
Now, what would explain the difference between Rashi and the Rashbab might have to do with why we eat Lechem Mishnah. The difference might arise from the fact that is Lechem Mishnah Zecher Laman? That's what we've been saying until now. Zecher Laman, that you have Lechem Mishnah. Or, is the din of Lechem Mishnah that we have a din on Shabbat that everything on Shabbat is kafu? Everything on Shabbat is double. Yes, the man indicated that, that Shabbat was also double. But everything on Shabbat is double, just like the Korban Oat. The Korban Tamid that's brought every day in the Mikdash is a single keves. What is the Korban Musaf for Shabbat? Is Shnei Kvasim. It's just a double of the normal Korban of the day. And that's what we talk about Shabbat. It's always like the Nishami Yitera. Everything is doubled on Shabbat. This is the Inyan of doubling things on Shabbat. So maybe the reason for Lechem Mishnah and Shabbat, yes, it might derive partly from the Man, but to have double of everything. So that might land you in a different situation. In Zecher the Man, when you're talking about Zecher the Man, you're right. Like Rashi says, you might make a bracha on two loaves, but you're going to only want to break one of those loaves. But why should you ever break on two loaves? On the other hand, if you think that the issue here is that everything is doubled on Shabbat, then the issue is not simply that Zechel Laman and break on one loaf, it's you should break both loaves, you should break doubles of everything, because it's a sense of felut, generosity, oneg Shabbat, that everything is twice as much as the regular weekday. So that might explain the Rashba's opinion as to why he thinks that you have to break all the loaves or both loaves, as opposed to Rashi's opinion. In addition to that, there are a number of other questions that arise with Lechem Mishnah. One is, first is, is it Dindorite or Dindorabanan? And that the Potskim argue about, the Archa Shulchan seems to indicate that it's a Dindorite. Others seem to indicate that it's only a Dindorabanan. But it also comes up, for instance, on Yom Tov. Do you need Lechem Mishnah on Yom Tov? So there happens to be a Tosfot in Beitzah. Tosfot on that bed on bed on Tosfot brings down Stira in the Midrashim, whether the man came down on Yom Tov or not. Two Midrashim, one Midrash says it did come down on Yom Tov, one said it didn't come down on Yom Tov. Now, if it's Zeichah the man, it's easy to understand why on Yom Tov you'd have Lechem Mishnah as well. If it didn't fall on, on Yom Tov, then you had double portion on Erev Yom Tov. So you'd have Lechem Mishnah, Zeichah the man. If you think the din of Lechem Mishnah is because everything on Shabbat is doubled, that's not true on Yom Tov. And so maybe on Yom Tov you would not have a din of Lechem Mishnah. That's one. The next thing is, are women chayavot in Lechem Mishnah? There are two opinions. The Rabbeinu Tam suggests that, an unbelievable Rabbeinu Tam, we don't have it here in our Tosafot, but it's quoted both by the Ran, as well as, I think the Shutzo quotes it, Rabbeinu Tam says, Af hein hayu He quotes this, for the principle of why they're chayavot in Lechem Mishnah is because they were also part of the Nes, the Nes of the Mon. So it's clear that he's viewing it as Zechah the Mon. And he's saying that the women are included because it's Afein Ayubot Anes. Now that has major implications. First of which is that Tosafot in other places says Afein Ayubot Anes is only applicable by Dine de Rabbanan, not Dine de Oraita. If you believe that Lachemish is only Dine de Rabbanan, fine. But if you think that Lachemish is a Dine de Oraita, then the Rabbinical Times applying Afein Ayubot Anes to a Dine de Oraita. Which would be very interesting. Because of that, he says that the women are chayavot. They, Ron says, what do you need that for? We know there's a din on Shabbat that women are chayavot like men. Anything that a man is chayavot on Shabbat, so does the woman. That's the din of Zohar Shamor. But that might be well understood according to those opinions that say it's not Zechir the Man, but rather it's a din in Felot Shabbat, doubling things on Shabbat. When you double things on Shabbat, that's a din in Shabbat itself. It's not a din because an Arab Shabbat, they got two loaves in Arab Shabbat, and there's Zechir the Nase, we do it. But that may not be a din in Shabbat. That's why Rabbeinu Tam goes to Afayin to Anais. But something when you're talking about doubling on Shabbat, that's a din in Shabbat. A woman should be chayavot. That's why you may not need the din of Afayin to Anais. The last question arises with Suda Shlishit. Do you need Lecha Mishnah for Suda Shlishit? So let's think about this. What should have been, just if you had the Pashtut, if you didn't have any of the fancy footwork, what happened was that they 
and got the man on Friday morning. They took the man, they got a double portion, they baked it into, let's call it, four loaves. They baked it into four loaves for the meals that they would need it for. So they have their four loaves now. For Friday, they ate one of the loaves. Friday night, they ate the second loaf. For Shabbat morning, they ate the third loaf. And the fourth loaf, they ate for Suda Shlishit. If I lay that out, then what you have is... When you're on Friday night, you have Lechem Mishneh because you still have three loaves left. So you break one of those loaves. Shabbat morning, you have two loaves left. You break one of them. But by Sudash Lishit, you only have one loaf left. So Mipashtut, it would have been that Sudash Lishit does not require Lechem Mishneh. And that's the way that the Torah quotes that you don't need Lechem Mishneh for Sudash Lishit. On the other hand, the Shulchan Aruch brings down the possibility that you do need Lechem Mishneh even Sudash Lishit. And on top of that, the Ramal brings down Quotes from the Budraham who says that any meal you have on Shabbat, you have to have Lechem Mishneh. If you have a fourth meal on Shabbat, you have to have Lechem Mishneh. Every meal that you have on Shabbat has got to have Lechem Mishneh associated with it. Again, this might relate to exactly the difference in why we eat Lechem Mishneh. If it's Zechel Leman, then it would make sense that Sudash Lashit doesn't require Lechem Mishneh. Because Zechel Leman would have been you were dropping a loaf each meal. And by Sudan, you get to Sudash Lashit, you don't have an extra loaf. On the other hand, if it's a din in Kfeluta Shabbat, doubling everything on Shabbat, alright, the same din should apply by Sudash Lashit as well as to the fourth meal, fifth meal that you have on Shabbat. You always have to have Lechem Mishneh. There is a Zohar, by the way, that says that you have to have 12 loaves. You have to have 12 loaves on Shabbat, which is very difficult because even if you think you need Lechem Mishneh for each of the meals, that would only get you up to six loaves of bread. So where does the Zohar come up for 12 loaves? So those that want to suggest that the Zohar, together with the Rashba, would end up with you with 12 loaves. Because the Rashba says that when you're Botzei, you have to be Botzei on both loaves. You have to break them both. So that means what ends up happening in each meal is that you break the loaves in half. So you have six, but it's really six times two. Because each loaf now is being broken into two halves. And the two halves are what are Zechel Leman. That's what creates the Lechem Mishneh. So therefore on Friday night you have two loaves. You cut them in half, right? Now you've ended up with four. Shabbat morning you have two loaves. You cut them in half, you have another four. Sudash Lishit, you cut them in half, you have four, you get twelve. So someone explained the Zohar based on that uh, Rashba. Right, that's just a little tour around Lechem Mishneh because we, we touched on it broadly over here. If you break off a piece that's large enough for the entire meal, you look like you're a glutton. What type of piece of bread is this person taking? Taking measured portions. What's this thing of taking out a whole big piece? Since you don't do this every day, it looks like you're doing it the cover of Shabbat. It's like you're being mechavev that Shabbat, not something that this person's a gluttonous eater. He doesn't eat this every day. He doesn't break his bread this way every day. Generally, he does it in a measured manner on Shabbat. He takes a generous portion. He breaks off a generous portion of the bread. Now, according to the Rashba, it would be the same thing. The Rashba says you have to cut through both loaves. On a weekday, he doesn't cut through both loaves. Over here, where he cuts through both loaves and takes huge portions, that's okay. Again, that's a unique to the Shabbat. If it happened to be that their house was where they placed the Eruv, that Shabbat, or someone else brought them over the loaf of the bread of the Eruv, you need a loaf of bread to join the people for the Eruv, they used to make their meal on that Eruv. If you did one mitzvah, let's do another mitzvah with it. Now this does enter into the problem we call Enosim mitzvot, chavilot, chavilot. Now I don't do mitzvot in bundles. So there the Gemara says this in the Gemara Psachim, we'll get to this later on and say to Moed, do two mitzvot with a single item. That's only true when the two mitzvot that you're doing look like you're bundling or putting them together because you're going to save something. You're going to save by bundling them together. You're going to save on money. You're going to save in something 
because you do it together. Over here, the putting the mitzvot together is not a bundling of sorts. It's just a, a way of expression of what well, we've done a mitzvah with it. The Eruv has to be eaten anyway. If you need it anyway, let's may as well eat it for a mitzvah. The same way where we take the lulav and we save the lulav to burn the chamech with it. That's not called mitzvot chavilot chavilot because you have to dispose of the lulav anyway. So you may as well dispose of it in a way that creates a mitzvah from it. So that's not called mitzvot chavilot chavilot. That's the same over here. All right, we'll stop over here because the next thing gets into shalosh sudot for Shabbat, which is another great sugi. We'll do that tomorrow.